0: First off, welcome here to this class. I'm so delighted to be here with you all. I'm so glad you all are here, learning how to teach and about teaching. And when I was given the title of this talk, I sort of thought I knew what I was going to talk about. But the more I studied it, 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 it sort of took a different turn than I had planned. And part of it is because the last four years I have been teaching over in Bangladesh. And I've been teaching in public schools. And, and, and the class the whole classroom sitting uh, setting is a little different. The students come in, I have more students. It's not I don't have a classroom all the time. They come in, they go out, they and so the discipline over there looks a lot different than it does here. This actually is this very classroom is the first classroom I taught in. And the discipline that was in this classroom looked a little different than it did over there. And then I also spent a little bit of time in Romania, and it was very short, very short um, little journey, ten days of class. And the discipline there was a little different too. So as I thought about discipline, and I want I want to equip you to have a disciplined classroom, I decided to start today uh, with the bedrock of discipline. Today's talk, I want to give you the tools to whatever situation you go to, whatever class you go to, you will have the tools. To make a disciplined classroom, even though it looks different than maybe what you're used to in Bangladesh where I teach every year is this sp- it's the spring of the year and they have harvested the rice and they they take the rice straw off the fields they they start to they, they take their their cultivators out they cultivate and cultivate they break up the the, um, the hard clay pan. And when it's all broken up, it's terribly much work. They take their little hose and they hoe up little hills and then they plant watermelon seeds in the middle of those hills and then they start to water those watermelon seeds and they water them and they water them and they water, water them some more and then eventually they sprinkle fertilizer around it when the plants grow and, and they keep fertilizing and watering until they have a crop of watermelons. It's a very... It's, it's, a, it's a complicated... Very hard process, but it is a process. They have to follow that process in order to get watermelons. You can't skip the breaking up of the clay pan or the making the hills because then it'll flood when, if it will flood if and when it does rain. You can't skip the water and you can't skip the fertilizer. Every step is vitally important to get your watermelons. Today's world, the world that you and I have grown up in, is fascinated with, with quick fixes, we want to go to a seminar, a, a, a two-day seminar that will fix our relationship with our spouse, if we have one, <laughs> or, or, or we go and, and how to have a meaningful relationship with your, your family, or how to be successful in business. We want to have a little technique that if we do this and this and this, we will be successful or have a good relationship or blah, blah, blah. Well, let me tell you something. It's a little bit like raising watermelons. You can't skip to the fertilizer, you can't skip to the to the hoeing. You have to do every step in order. You have to, and you, and you have to make sure your foundation is strong. If you're going to have a disciplined, successful classroom, there are no shortcuts. You can't go take a 15-minute farming seminar and end up with watermelons. You have to do the whole th- theory. So this class is not about techniques necessarily. We'll get into a little bit of that later. This is how, step by step, to build a disciplined classroom, a real disciplined classroom, and there are four points I want to, I want to tell you, and I'll tell, them, tell you what they are, and then we'll talk about each one. Start with yourself, take responsibility, build an atmosphere of trust, and deal how to deal with a problem. Um. So we're going to start with starting with yourself. The proverb says, God says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, what you are shouts so loudly in my ears I can't hear what you're saying. What you are shouts so loudly in my ears I can't hear what you're saying. In a world of cheap copies, and quick fix fixes, you need to be real yourself from the inside out. My brother Willie was over in, in Africa, spent a few months over in Africa assisting a doctor over there, um, and and he told a story about a little girl who came into the clinic, and she had, I forget what the the issue is, you can ask him later, she had some surgery, some sickness, She I think maybe broken legs or something, I don't know what it was. Anyway, they did surgery on her. And they patched her up, and they sent her home. Well, a week or two later, she came back into the hospital with a terrible infection through her whole body. And so they gave her a strong course of antibiotics, and she, she got better, and they sent her home. And maybe a week later or two weeks later, she came back in again with a, with a, the same infection, terrible infection. I mean, almost to die. But they gave her another course of antibiotics, sent her home. She's... She, she came in again with this this infection. And they said something in her body is, is causing this infection. So they did scans and I don't know what they did, MRIs, X rays, Willie wouldn't know, all these things. Um, and they found a little spot in her bone that was discolored. Inside her bone there was a spot that died and it was full of infection inside her bone in her leg. So they had to do a terrible, invasive, brutal surgery, chopped her open, her bone open, and and, and, and scooped out the inside of that bone that was infected, put it all back together, and she, she survived. And... Every time they would give her the antibiotics, it would kill all the infection in her system, but it was still trapped in her bone, the, and the infection wasn't. as soon as the, the antibiotics disappeared from her bloodstream, that infection came back out again. And it is so much like your life. If you have something inside of you, if there's, the, if there's bitterness, if there's unforgiveness, if there's Im- impurity, if, if there's something in your life like that, you cannot bypass, bypass that surgery, that brutal surgery. You have to get that out. You have to gouge that out and, and do whatever it takes to be victorious. Otherwise, it's going to keep coming back. No matter how many antibiotics you take, no matter how hard you try to fix it, it's going to keep coming back. So before you even get started, get your insides right. Get them clean. Get them pure. I can't, I can't tell you that enough. That is the foundation for your life, let God help you. Let God help you clean up that infection, whatever it may mean. That little girl would have died without that surgery, and you will die if you if there's an infection, if there's a if there's something inside of you that needs to be cleaned up. You cannot bypass this step. There's another thing I want to show you, uh, tell you about today, and it's a it's a little bit of a big thought, and I, I don't want to spend much time on it, but I really want you to get it. You cannot be truly effective for God. This I believe, if you do not have real meaningful relationships with the people who you're close to. And I'm talking about your dad, and your mom, and your brothers, and your family, and your church. Those people that maybe you're running from, or you have run from. You have to get that right too. And I'll I'll show you something here. I'm a welder, and I work with metal, and I'm not a teacher. It helps support my teaching habit. And you, you use flat bar to build a lot of things. Now, a piece of flat bar is very, very strong edge-wise. I don't care if I was a thousand times as strong as I am. I could not bend this flat bar edge-wise. I couldn't. There's a tremendous amount of strength even in this little tiny piece of flat bar. But I can bend it this way. It's not very much because I couldn't find any thinner flat bar in our shot. But, but I can bend it this way. And if you were going to build something out of it with the stress load pulling down this way, it would break and it would bend. This way it's very strong. This is a little bit like you and me. We have our strengths and they're real strengths. And they're strong this way. And then that person that we disagree with, maybe it's your dad or your mom or your preacher or your brother or somebody that you're not having... maybe maybe you get along with everybody. I don't always. Maybe their strengths are different. And maybe they're like, this piece of flat bar looks just the same, but it's facing a different way. This is me facing this way. Very strong up and down, very weak side to side. This is the brother you don't get along with. He's sitting this way. He's very strong side to side, but he's not strong up and down. If you can make that into a relationship, which takes heat, I welded this together, a lot of heat, a lot of tension, a lot of work, You can work together. Your strength side to side pairs with his strength up and down and makes something that is unbendable. This thing right here welded together has I don't know how many times more strength than both of these separately. This thing right here you could use as a brace. You could build a sawmill with with pieces like this because you can't bend it any direction. And I want you to think about that. With your relationships, if, there's those, uh, if there are those people who you can't get along with or you struggle to get along with or there's, and they're close to you, try to make, build a relationship there. Try to build a bridge there because you need that person in your life. You need that strength where you're weak. Remember that. We need their strength for success. Also, listen to criticism from others. If it's not true, don't let it wreck your day. But it might just be the key to your success. I have seen so many talented, brilliant young teachers who were surrounded by good advice in their community, good advice that people gave them. But because of their arrogance, they didn't listen and they failed. Listen to those words that come. Listen to those people that come into your life and say, you know, Aaron, I think you should do it a little different. I think you should... I think you should change this way of doing things. I don't think that's very wise. Listen to those voices. Because those voices come often. They come from God. And sometimes they're, if you're teachers, you know, sometimes it comes misdirected and it it can really hurt and maybe it's not true. But listen for the truth. Find the grains of truth in whatever it may be. So, start with yourself. Don't skip that step. Start with yourself. The next step we have, number two, take responsibility. You, God said, you reap what you sow. In the seven habits of highly effective people, Stephen Covey said, and I want you to listen very closely, what I am today is a result of the choices I made yesterday the choices i made yesterday it's not somebody else's fault it's not the preacher it's not your dad it's not your boyfriend or your girlfriend or i don't know what you deal with but the choice who i am today what i am today is a result of my choices take responsibility for that take responsibility for yourself for who you are start with that take responsibility for your choices I made those choices. I am who I am. Take responsibility for your classroom. You were hired to come into that classroom to teach those children, to make them listen, to to teach them how to read, how to be effective people, to teach them how to be disciplined. You were hired for that. That's your responsibility. That's not... Oh, I wish the parents would be different and would, do so, and would help me out of the board or the other. No, your responsibility is your classroom. Take that responsibility. You were hired. You were given that. I, I believe you are given that job in a very real way by God. And he'll give you the tools to do it, the advice, the help, the people to do it. But take that responsibility. Now, no matter how hard we try, no matter how good we are, no matter what we do, we're going to make mistakes. Take responsibility for your mistakes. See, I did that. You know what? That was me. That was stupid. That was awful. But I did it, and I'm sorry. And I'm not. I'm going to try not to do it again. Take responsibility for your mistakes. Now, there's a beautiful story, and um, there's a beautiful story, an old story that many of you have probably heard, but I'm going to tell it again because it's got a lot of power. There was a king, a wise king, a godly, not a godly king, but a good king. Maybe he was a godly king. And one day in the dark of the night he got a big stone and he carried it down the mountainside and he put it in the middle of the road. And he climbed back on the mountainside and he watched that stone. And when the morning came and the people were leaving the city to go on their way, everybody was leaving one by one from the city. The farmer came out with his wagon to go get grain and he came to the stone his horses tripped and he cursed and swore and growled and groaned and drove his horses in the ditch trying to get around and said, somebody really ought to move that stone! The government these days is really worthless. I mean, the taxes I pay. Anyway, and and time went on and more people came and tripped and fell. And a young man came out there all dressed in armor going to slay dragons in the furthest part of the empire. And he was so busy thinking about going and helping the world and saving the world by killing the dragons, he didn't even see the stone and tripped over it and fell and hurt his nose. And he stood up and, and, and he did the same thing. He cursed and swore and said, somebody really ought to move that stone. You know, and, and the whole day went on, and everybody did that all day long until the evening. The miller's daughter came by, and she saw the stone in the middle of the road, and she thought to herself, you know, somebody really ought to move that stone because somebody could get hurt, and she looked around. She was the only one there, so she got down there. and She groaned and heaved and tried and pushed, and she moved that stone off the, off the road, and underneath she found a little box of money. Gold that said this money is for the the person who moves the stone. And then she looked happily ever after and all that wonderful stuff. But it wasn't her responsibility, that stone in the road. But she could do something about it. And I want you to remember that. You're going to see so many things in your classroom that might not be your responsibility. If you can do something about it, take responsibility. Take responsibility for those problems. If you can't do anything about it, then don't lose any sleep over it. But if you can do something about it, God just might have shown it to you. He might have shown you that stone so that you can help. You can heal something that's broken. Take responsibility for the problems that you see if you can help them. So, take responsibility for your choices, take responsibility for your actions, take responsibility for your classroom. Take responsibility for your mistakes and take responsibility for the problems that we can influence. That you can influence. And that doesn't matter who you are parent, teacher, child, grandpa you take responsibility for. So, we've started with ourselves, we've got it right on the inside, we've taken responsibility for who we are, for our classroom. Now we get into the, the your classroom build this is a very very important step build an atmosphere of trust in your classroom I think the whole fear and trust scenario that's the beginning of all the problems if you can build trust in your classroom where you trust your students and they trust you it works it really works, and I don't care how tough you are and how big you are and how hard you can swing a stick. If there's not trust in your classroom, you will not have a, 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 a disciplined uh, effective classroom. There's no technique for this. It has to be built careful, and I'll tell you somehow to do that. To be first off, In every classroom that I've ever taught at, be it here in Bangladesh or or wherever it may be, there's sort of an unspoken contract going on. The contract sounds a little bit like this. You're the teacher. Your end of the bargain is to teach the lessons to be prepared, to make sure the lessons get checked, to make sure the discipline happens in the classroom, to make sure the classroom stays sort of clean. Um, That's your end of the bargain right it's part of it there's more probably the student's end of the bargain is to come to class and to be on time well it's part of your bargain too and to be and to do their work and to try and to be honest okay if you don't do your end of the bargain don't expect your students to do theirs if you're not disciplined if you haven't studied for the lessons if you haven't all those things that you're supposed to do as a teacher you know what your students aren't going to feel obligated to hold their, of their end either. Even if they don't think it all through, they're going to, they're, they're, you're not going to have a disciplined classroom. So start with yourself again. I have a friend in Bangladesh. He is a, 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 a primary school head teacher, the principal, the head sir. And he has a fairly large school. His school has maybe 400 and, 450 students from cl- grades 1 to 5. And he's a good friend of mine. Many evenings we will go... And we'll walk the street, the little streets of the bazaar there, and we'll drink tea and talk about class and things. And he's a very interesting man. So we're walking along one one evening, and they have these little these little fried snacks there, made of vegetables and I don't know what they are. It's sort of like a salty donut, except it's little and crunchy. and They're really good, and they're they're there. And and I and I asked him, I said, well, let's stop and have a little snack. I'm sort of hungry. And he looked at me in horror. He's like Aaron. He's like, do you eat those things? I said, like, yeah, I do. I like them. I never eat them, he said. I said, well, why not? I said, this do- I know these people. This do- kind is good. The, they're, they're, they're clean. You know, this, It's not going to make you sick. It's just vegetables. And he said, Aaron, it's junk food. And I tell my students every day they shouldn't eat junk food. I don't care how good it is. I'm not going to eat it. Because what if my students would come by and they would see me eating this junk food? and And, and I told them that they shouldn't eat it. And, he, and and I, that really that really struck me. I mean, I eat junk food, and I don't really mind if my students eat a little bit. I mean, don't eat a lot of junk food, but a wee bit surely doesn't hurt. But um, but he but he to him that mattered deeply. He told his students he told his students in, in, in class this thing, and he lived it himself. No matter if it looked good, no matter if he was with me and I wanted to eat it, and I thought that's really good. He's respectable. His word matters. What he said that I, I I was really challenged by that. And when you whatever the brother said this morning, was it Neil said about how you drive and how you act and what you say in school and and how you actually live it on the weekend, that's really important. Be who you be who you should be all the time. Be respectable yourself and respectful yourself. Keep your word to your students. That's a big deal. If you promise them to to go on a field trip or to have a snack or something, try to do that. And if you can't do it, then reschedule. and, And keep your word. What you say to them, keep your word. This is very, very basic, but it's very, very important. Be honest with them, and they'll be honest with you more usually. Apologize from your heart fully when you're wrong. That's important. We make mistakes. I'm sort of competitive out on the class out on the playground. It's easy to get competitive and to and to sort of be a bad sport. Why is it so easy to be a bad sport? I don't know. Or whatever it is. Or you weren't prepared for class, or something like that. Tell your students you're sorry. So you know what how I kicked that ball in soccer today was I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. But then you know what? Change what you do. Because if you apologize for the same thing the next day, It's not going to have just a whole lot of weight with your students. Um, Apologize when you do something wrong. Probably one of the more important things for building an atmosphere of trust in your classroom is to make your expectations crystal clear. To tell them what's expected of them. I I don't care if it's when to come in at the end of recess, what their assignments are, how much time they can be in the bathroom, what you expect them to do in their seats, how you expect them to do their assignments. Make it crystal clear. Make it way clearer than you think it needs to be. Tell Tell them what to do. Tell them how to do it. Explain how you want them to do it. And then review it. And keep on reviewing it. Make it crystal clear to your students what you want them to do. There's such a rest in that, such a tremendous rest in that. Another thing, we cannot be reactive. And uh, I like sunlight, and I like a full stomach, and I like to feel good. I don't like headaches. But you know what? A lot of times when you're teaching your class, there's going to be cloudy days and headaches and yucky food and... Uh, don't react to those things and your students are maybe a little naughty that day and everybody's sort of grouchy and if you snap and growl, they notice. Be Don't be reactive. Remember that first and foremost in your classroom, you are teaching them by your example. Be who you want them to be. And then the huge subject of, of fairness. Treat everybody fairly. You want your classroom to be a classroom built on trust. So you're going to want to be fair. Treat your students fairly by treating them differently. You can't treat every student the same. That's not possible and it's not fair. Treat your students according to their needs and explain to them sometimes, but he doesn't have to do this part in his math. Well, you know what? You're a little different. You're done with your math and you're going to be causing trouble if you don't do it. He's not done with his math. He can go ahead and skip that part. And that's being fair. And that's okay, but um, but be very careful because their little fair meter is really really sharp. Any little thing, boy, it, it's it's moving. So so try to and and if you do something that looks a little unfair, it's alright to explain yourself. This is why I did what I did, just so that they realize that you're trying for your level best to be consistent and to be fair. Don't talk bad about other people. In your classroom, you're going to hear so many things. You're going to hear things about the parents and about the board and about the church and about other teachers. You're going to hear things that you're just, you just soon not hear. You're like, oh, what am I going to do with that knowledge now? You know what? <laughs> be respect- respectful and be nice about those other people. Don't ever... Another teacher, a board member, I don't care how tempting it is. I don't care what you think they said about you or what you heard from the students that their dad said about your teaching. You know what? Never ever go down that road. Don't even start. Don't start talking bad about other people. Now I want to talk to you a little bit about rules. And every every in building this atmosphere of trust, every teacher is a little bit different. And I, especially over in Bangladesh the last while, and I think... It, 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 this is a very effective system, because I am sort of a literalist. I was, especially when I went to school. and So my teacher would make a rule, and, okay, so don't hit your classmates. That's pretty self-explanatory. But you can kick them, so you kick them. So the rule is, well, no hitting and kicking. Well, no touching. Seems pretty like a good fix. Well, then it came time to play tag. I can't touch you, because teacher said, we can't touch. You know, you can't make enough rules to cover all these eventualities. It's not possible. You can't have a rule book big enough to, to cover all the things. So it's much more effective to start with, to start with the end in view. And what I mean with, by that, instead of all these rules about hitting and kicking and running and noise and fighting, make a mission statement or a code of conduct, or a something or other like that, that's about five items long, or four items long. That is the end result that you want. So the end result, let's, one of them might be, rule number one, let's say, be kind and respectful to others. Alright? That covers so much running in the halls. Was that kind and respectful to the other classes you were trying to study? No. Obviously, the hitting, kicking, biting scenario is out of line. I mean, that's not being kind and respectful. Saying mean things. And you ask her, you, you, you make these rules together with your students. You put them on the board. You put them on the classroom all over. You give them each a little paper. Our mission statement, I will be kind and respectful to others. Um, I will be honest. Make your own. Make your own. Not very long. And, 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 and then evaluate. always evaluate their actions by this mission statement. You know they're they're waiting a long time in the bathroom. Class didn't start on time. You can make a rule: one minute and thirty seconds in the bathroom after after recess. Well, maybe they had a problem. You know, and it took them a, two minutes. You know, it just happens. You know, we're 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 a human. And and but instead of that, you could say, you know, what? You're, you're late again? Well, you know, is that being kind to the rest of the class? I want you to be on time because guess what? We want to start class. And um, if you're always late, that's not being kind and respectful. And, and, And what you're doing very, very effectively is delegating authority. They're able to make their own decisions. They're able to evaluate themselves. And most importantly, you're giving them the tools to make the right decisions themselves. They're not scanning through their mental list of rules and saying, well, it's not included so I can do this. They're able to say in their hearts you know what? There's no rule about this, but it's not being honest. You're trying to prepare these children for life. Give them the tools to prepare them for life. I guarantee if you... And, and refer back to this mission statement, this code of conduct, many times a day as you need to, and I guarantee when that when that little boy is all of a sudden 45 years old and he's thinking about doing something, those things just might come back into his mind. Is it being kind and respectful to others? You know? Whatever it may be, make these make you're preparing these students for life, and you can't be the policeman. There's too many of them. You can't. You want to equip them to to police themselves and to do them to do it themselves. Um, it prepares them for life. Now we started with ourselves. We took responsibility. We built an atmosphere of trust. Now we're going to try to deal with a problem because we're going to have problems and they're going to be big problems sometimes and sometimes little, but they're going to have problems. They're what makes teaching so hard, the problems. But remember, while it is the hardest thing, it is your greatest opportunity as a teacher. You're teaching them by example. You're showing to your students how you respond to a problem. They all watch you. Have you ever had that happen in your classroom? When somebody does something they know is bad, like they say something out loud in class or they lose their temper. Maybe you have more orderly classrooms than that. But somebody in the back corner all of a sudden, you know, I don't know what they do, but it's something bad. And all the eyes of the classroom instantly on the teacher.
1: What's he going to do now?
0: You know what? They're watching and they're learning. So, how do we deal with a problem? In a tough situation, when you don't know what to do. When you know what to do, it's pretty easy. When you don't know what to do, stop and listen to the people that are involved. Listen to those children. They come in from the classroom and you know what? Little little Fred is involved. And you know he's at fault because he's always the bad guy. You weren't even out there. You had come in to use the restroom or something. And and they've you know, they got into a fight and you know it was Fred's fault. You know why? Listen to the children. What happened? Don't proceed until you have a pretty good idea what actually went wrong. Even when you think you saw what happened, try to listen because sometimes You as a teacher are a lot less God than sometimes we almost need to be. We didn't see it. We didn't understand it. And so listen to start. Try to fully understand and grasp what each person is saying before you even think about a solution. It may not be as it appears at the first glance. When you do that, when you choose to listen, and when they feel like they're being understood by their teacher, they're a whole lot more willing to listen to your solution. If you deal out your solution before you hear their side of the story, they're not going to want to listen to you. That's just not fair. That teacher is just not fair. You know what? It it, it might have even been fair, but they didn't feel understood. Give them that, that gift of understanding. Also, when there is something you don't know what to do, have them evaluate themselves with your mission statement. Ask them in the class setting, you know. You know, Fred or Jemima or whatever. You, is that is that being kind and respectful to others, what you just did? You stole her eraser again. Is that being kind and respectful? Well, no, it's not. And they know that. And they're usually pretty honest evaluating themselves. Well, then don't do that. And, well, yeah, it sort of takes their wind right out of their sails. And they just do it, generally. Many times. After you've listened carefully to your students and tried to help them evaluate themselves, the decision you realize you need to make is going to be sort of unpopular with your students. You realize that. You've, you've thought of everything. You've really tried. And you realize it's not going to be very popular. You know what? Do the right thing anyway. You cannot make base your decisions on your popularity with your students. That's an easy thing to do, especially if you're teaching older grades. You want them to like you. You know what? That's a treacherous path that you'll never be able to walk on. Do the right thing and they'll respect you for it in the end. Don't just do what you think is going to be popular with them. Don't let that be the only thing causing you to make decisions. Anna told me something. She's a very um, a good teacher, my sister Anna. She told me something that was really good. Um, and it was mainly more in the, in the context of dealing with parents but sometimes it works with students too, older students. Let's say there's a problem, and it's a continual problem, and you just don't know what to do about it. And you're talking with this person. It's really good to wiggle around to their side. In your mental picture, picture, think about this a little bit. And ask them what they would do, especially if it's a parent. But sometimes, in a, with a student situation, you ask them, you know, what do you think? What do you think would be a just punishment for this? And just to be honest with my experience, I have done that sometimes to my to some of my older boys, especially. And the punishments they think up for themselves are horrific. <laughs> I would never have done that to them. You know, Mr. Aaron, for doing this, I feel like. You should spank me and send me home for a week. No, I was thinking of maybe staying in for, you know, five minutes and doing something. I, not that, but, but um, let them evaluate themselves. That's really, really effective. And um, let them tell you what maybe they think you should do. Another very effective thing to do is to think ahead to your day. Um, vis- maybe the day before, the, at the beginning of the week, and visualize the tough situations that you think you're going to have. Um, visualize what you Because th- often, especially after you've taught a while, you start to recognize what's going to happen. You know he's going to come in, his work's not going to be done, and he's going to be a real jerk about it. You know, And so you visualize what this scenario is and then visualize in your heart, in your mind, what you're going to do about it. You know, when he comes in, or whatever it is, whatever this is, when it's on the playground, you know if you play soccer again, these two boys are going to get into a, a, a fight. Uh, hopefully not, but they usually do. And what are you going to do about that? If you can't think of a good solution in your mind, if the solutions you tried haven't worked, get help. Get help. Call somebody, call your mom, call the old 50-year veteran teacher of school. Do whatever you need to do, and lay the scenario out before them and get help. Because that's actually one of the very best things you get here at these teachers' meetings is a base of people you can call and talk to that will give you real answers for real problems. And and, and, and have a plan in place. So what, you can't plan for everything, but some of these recurring sins, shall we say, they get a plan in place to deal with them in the end. And... I can't tell you this strong enough. love your students love your students just take the time to listen to their stories and to and to ooh and I over the pictures that they draw you and to just show them in every way you can that you love them and I and and, and maybe more, more than, the, than the, ab, the abstract, you know, I, of course, love my students. I also love Hitler and Fidel Castro, and I hope that, you know, they can find the Lord and we can be together in heaven. That's sort of abstract. Also, like your students. Like to be with them. Choose to, be, you know, like, spend time, and they'll, they'll know when you do. They'll know when you, when you like them and when you love them. It's sort of like an investment. There's hard things you have to ask your students to do sometimes. Sometimes there's, there, it's an assignment. sometimes somebody the, the little girl who can't do her math, there are some of those out there and, 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 and she's got to try harder than is actually right to get that math done right and and so you're asking a lot of her to come there and be sort of a dummy in class, and that, that, that's a lot that, that, that's a, you're asking a lot of her, or whatever it is, maybe it's behavior, maybe he's ADHD and he has to sit down. you're asking a lot from him. Invest into that bank account so that you can withdraw it because it's a cost on their part. If you have that student that has a huge problem with it, take him fishing or hunting on the weekend. Invest something in that account. Give your students things. I'm a huge believer in giving your students things, not necessarily just for for um, for um something they did because sometimes the person who can't perform very well can't do it and can't get it. I just say, you know what, I I just really like you as a class, and I just, you know what, for art t- art today, while you're drinking your art, while you're doing your art, <laughs> yeah, you know, drinking your art. You know what, we're gonna have we're gonna have hot chocolate because I like you, and you know what, that's a tremendous investment that you're investing into their hearts. That someday when you have to withdraw, they'll do it for you before you even ask, because they because they trust you and they love you. I can't tell you how important that is. There's I've, I've seen so often and I I I I I'm acquainted with a teacher. I don't think any of you guys know. I'm just just saying. Um and I don't know why he's a teacher. Um because he doesn't like it. He doesn't like to teach. He doesn't like his students. And he'll say that. And you know what his students know that? And it's a terrible classroom. It's a terrible classroom. And I don't know, I don't know, I don't know how, I don't know why it's why it's happening, um, but you know what, he, he he needs to choose to like them. It's not life is not all about volleyball and nice cars and things like that. Anyway, that was just for free. Um, <laughs> love your choose to love your students. I'm gonna stop here. Just a, I'm I want to stop just a little bit early here if I can, and ask if you have any thoughts. So I have some. Actually, here let let me just. Give you these, let, let you, if you have any thoughts, give them now. Do you have any thoughts on discipline and, and um, what works for you or what doesn't work for you or some little tip that you would like to share? Or something that I said wrong. I usually generally do that five or six times. Mm-hmm. Yes? What you said about expecting, mm-hmm. about your students, I found that generally true. Mm-hmm. Expect good out of them. Mm-hmm. They will live up to your expectations. Isn't that the truth? That is a very good thought. He said expect good out of your students and they'll live up to your expectations. They will also when you expect bad. Isn't that the truth? They'll also do it if if you expect bad. And I think a special caution, if you had a real problem with a student and he moved on to the next room, don't bother telling the next teacher about that. About like if it's a disciplinary problem. Because generally those problems can be as much our fault as the teacher as it is the student's fault, and to go give him a dirty slate going on to the next room is not the best thing you can do for him. Give give him a clean slate to go on because it probably was your fault anyway. But that's that's such a very good point. Expect the best from your students. Give them the benefit of the doubt and tell them you do. Tell them you know I trust you and I like to trust you and I. That's that's very good. Well. You know, <coughs> there's situations where there's children where we don't, I don't know if I should say we, but we don't know their whole home situation. And there's sometimes that plays a big part in children's. We can't be too hard on that. And it's hard, hard things to deal with because it's not really, yeah, the child needs to be disciplined, but yet it's deeper than that, it goes back. Absolutely right. Um, so it's, we need to be careful how we approach some of those things. Absolutely right. That is a very good thought. There the, the problems that you face it with your in your classroom with your students, maybe that, that little boy that's always bad, you're not seeing the whole story. There's there might be home issues, there might be other issues that you don't even see. And to just you that That takes special grace and it takes a lot of wisdom and it also takes some time go see if you can visit those people, see if you can learn to understand what's what's making this little boy do what he's doing or little girl because that'll give you some of the tools to deal with it. That's very very good advice and that's coming from a father and um and and I think that's really good I think parents they send their students to our to our classrooms. And they trust us to learn to know their children deep enough that we can affect them positively. To invest our hearts and our lives in their children until we understand them. Just to dish out punishments and without learning to know and understand the actual needs of the child can be very, very harmful to your, to your children. Any more thoughts? Those are very good. <laughs> Very good. Love, I think that covers so much of those misunderstandings. Mm-hmm. When you really care about those children, even if their home situation is rough and they bring a whole bunch of baggage, That's right. it totally changes the way they think, even if you do need to be loved. exactly right. Because how many stories have you heard? Where the where the where the little boy says, except now he's a 50-year-old man, he says, you know that fifth-grade teacher of mine made all the difference in the world, and you know that's the that's the fifth-grade teacher we want to be. We want to be that person that can help them. Okay, I think we're going to close here. I think another bill's about bill's about to go. I'll say a little bit more here, and then we'll close. Just like growing watermelons takes time and preparation and energy and planning, and it needs to be done step by step and cannot be accomplished quickly with no effort. It is worth the time and effort to do it right. And remember, you are not in this alone. You are surrounded by parents, other teachers, the school board, the parents, I think I said that, and even the other students. And they all want you to succeed They want you to be a success. They want you to have a disciplined classroom. They want to give you the help that it takes to get there. But most of all, you are surrounded by God who is full of wisdom and mercy. And when we go with him and take his plan, in the end we will succeed. So go with God and in his strength, go and change your world. You are dismissed.